All right. Now we're recording. The creaky couch creaks in the night. Uh, we'll get this out of the way. Good to go? Yes. All right, everybody. Welcome back to episode two of the uh, Life is Sweet pod. I'm John. And I'm Jill. I'm Jonathan. <laughs> Good. Nice touch. Yeah. Call back to the last episode. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I haven't decided whether I'm going as John or Jonathan on this podcast yet. Well, I'm only ever going to call you John because uh, calling you Jonathan just doesn't work for me. No, I imagine not. You're not a Jonathan in my head. But I am a Jonathan in my head. Yes. I, I, I imprinted as John, so. Fair enough. I'm not picky. I know. Don't give me hand gestures. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Would you uh, like me to begin by regaling you with my hammock odyssey that I've been on? Sure. All right. Well, so the hammock odyssey has not necessarily been an odyssey that I've been on for years straight, but it started last year. Um, so as uh, first lockdown was looming back in February, March, I've been like checking the news um, in the UK. So I've been reading articles about like, you know, stocking up on a few things. Um, and uh, one of the things was a business called 10,000 Villages. Um, familiar, definitely in Manitoba. Do they have stores outside of Manitoba? Or are they just a Manitoba thing? Beats me. I, I imagine that they would. I imagine that they do, but um, they're, if, if you don't know, they're run by um, Mennonite, the Mennonite Central Committee. It's like an import fair trade shop. Um, and they, for the most part, have gone out of business. Uh, so last year they started having this massive, like 80 to 90% off sale. And so on the day that they dropped the prices down to like 90% off, I went on and I bought a beautiful handmade hammock, um, made in Mexico, cotton, big wooden spreaders. And I guess I just either I didn't check the length or it just didn't register in my head. Um, and then when it finally arrived, it was about it's it's 15 feet long. Um, and to put that in context, our yard is 25 feet wide. Uh, I think is it 25 across our frontage? Something like that. Something like that. It's very small. Yeah, it's very small. And our backyard is not, like, wide open. We have, like, garden boxes. We have a fire pit. There's not really, like, a wide open space. Um, but I don't know. I just... Um, I didn't lose hope. Um, I thought I might make a hammock stand out of two-by-fours. Didn't really get to it last summer. Um, so didn't really use the hammock. Uh, and then this spring, I was like, okay... I'm going to get a hammock stand because they were all sold out last year. As soon as like lockdown hit, everyone's like, oh, I need a hammock and a hammock stand, I guess. And they were like sold it's out. Lockdown, of I need a hammock. Yeah, hammocks are essential. Um, and so like hammock stands were sold out across the city all last year. 
Um, and like, toilet paper and hammocks. Toilet paper and hammocks. The Those things are the that you first need. Things to go. Yeah, the things that uh, you have to make sure you have. <laughs> uh, and then so this spring I was like, okay, I'm gonna get hammock stand. It's, this is the hammock summer that I didn't have last summer. I'm gonna do it. And so Canadian Tire had a 15 foot hammock stand, um, and it was a decent price. They had one of them, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna buy it. And I bought it, and I brought it back. And then I thought about it, and I accepted into my heart the truth that this hammock is just not reasonably going to fit into our... Like, I could probably put it... How did you find out about the truth? (laughs) uh, Okay, so I was able to come to the truth because (laughs) I discovered this online store out of... Ottawa. It's a brick-and-mortar store in Ottawa, but it's called Hammock Universe. And so this is the second part of my quest for the hammock. Um, I was having a really tough day at work because it it's been a very tough week um, in the, in the <laughs> vaccine world and oh, the so- lack of vaccines for teachers' world. Um, yeah. And so... I did some retail therapy and I was looking at this website, Hammock World, and they had camping hammocks. Um, And so like light parachute material, they are having a sale. They have a parachute um, camping hammock with a bug net so that you can be in it. And it's like your own little like enclosed cocoon. Um, Like. A mosquito net. Yeah, yeah. You it's could just sleep a, in there. It's just a mosquito net. Yeah, you could sleep in it. And then um, I didn't get one, but you could also buy, like, fly um, things to put over it so that you actually could sleep in it like it's a tent. Mm. Um, so, like, if you were camping... That's it would, pretty neat. Yeah, it would be, like, one extra. If you had a guest at your campsite, it would be, like, an extra whatever. Um, you could also just put a tarp over it, too. But um, So, yeah, it, it, it was it was... Well under a hundred bucks for both pieces for the hammock and the the bug net, and then I also ordered um, eco straps. So you pop them around any size tree, and they're adjustable, um, just so you can hang your your hammock from any tree. An eco strap. Yeah, just like you don't have to drill into the tree with a screw. You can just uh-huh. yeah. That's so, the eco. Yeah, that's the eco part. Um, so you don't have to damage the tree. You just gotta strap it. Um, and then so I ordered that. Uh, and I did feel better because I thought about living in my hammock all summer, and that was a nice thought. Or um, where would I live? Well, if we get the hammock and it's nice, and you want one, we can get you a hammock as well. <laughs> um, but also Paral- th- parallel hammocks. Parallel hammocks. You can have, you can have double hammocks at a campsite. Two people can't fit inside that hammock. I, I actually think two people could fit inside that hammock. Like it, be I think, a lot of room. Yeah, like I, I think it's a, it's a good size. Like it's ten feet long. Seems uncomfortable. Maybe. <laughs> you would <laughs> be the. Uh, yeah, you're bigger than me, so you would be like the gravity well that I would. Uh, I'd be the black hole. Yeah, that I would be space and time seeking into. Yeah, sinking You'd into. Be sucked, sucked into the event horizon. Much like our old mattress. Uh that sort of effect where just naturally rolled towards wherever you were. Um, it was easy to roll in and hard to climb out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I got this hammock. It's on its way. Should be here on Tuesday. And then I was like, okay, so now I have two hammocks. Um, what are you going to do with two hammocks? Yeah. 
that was my th- and I thought well is the question is the question um my parents so my my stepdad and my mom are not exactly retired like my stepdad has been sort of unemployed since the uh, pandemic started but he's also in his 70s um, and my mom was working at the hospital in her small town but she's got some issues with her spine so she is on disability and I thought you know what these seem like some people who could use a giant hammock in their backyard if you're unemployed in your 70s though doesn't that just default to re- being retired? Uh, I guess so. Um, <laughs> he's never really, he's like a jack of all trades kind of guy. So he doesn't really have like a, um, he has like, you know, the Canada pension and that sort of thing, but he doesn't have like a company pension ah. set up. So, um, and he's still like, um, he's in good shape. He's in good shape. Um, so, you know, it, he's one of those guys that people will call if they need, especially like a supervisor foreman sort of guy. He's very tall. He, can, he looks good for his age. You could tell. Yeah, yeah. He he could tell folks what to do. Um, I would, if I saw Hank and I didn't know how old he was, I would place him. I would guess he'd be around sixty. Yeah, yeah. So he he's he um, yeah, but he's a he's a tall guy and he he's a mechanic, so he he's pretty handy to have around as well. So yeah. Um, uh, so I'm gonna take the hammock and the hammock stand um, out to my parents. Uh, whenever it's is that gonna be Hank's retirement hammock? I guess so. Uh, my parents have like they don't have a huge house. They have a, a fairly uh, moderate sized house, but they're in a small town and it's a double lot that their house is on. So they have a gigantic backyard that's mostly garden, but has a fair amount of. Um, of grass space where they can they can have it and they've got like a beautiful apple tree back there they could pop it uh, my mom loves to just uh, she's a sun lover she's like a lizard so she could just <laughs> sit in the sun and this hammock is in like what way? You're... <laughs> my mom's like a lizard yeah well okay. lizard mom she says this I don't oh, she I, says that. yes um, she says that because she loves heat and can sit out in the sun forever um, unlike me, who like burns very easily, um, but yeah, so she's. I asked if they'd like a hammock, and they were. Uh, they'll be very happy to take it. So, whenever it's safe to do so, um, hopefully by mid-May, I want to take a run out to my parents. Live just over the border into Saskatchewan, and I don't want to like stay there and interact too much um and i'll probably just camp outside of their house but uh um if possible i'd like to take i always grow them plants i could take them a hammock get them all set up for spring um so hopefully the hammock that i'm keeping will be here on tuesday Mm. and then the hammock odyssey hopefully will draw to a close i will have a hammock my mission, my year-long mission, will be achieved, um, and I'll have a. Uh, I'm kind of hoping it'll be like, we also have a hammock stand in the back that is a ten-foot hammock stand that somebody in our neighborhood just gave to us that we went and scavenged last summer. Mm-hmm. John and I just walked over and took it out of their backyard because they said we could. Um, we carried it over our heads. Yeah, carried it down the street. <laughs> and, uh, that was a hot day. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping it fits on there because our backyard is very exposed to our neighbors who are perfectly nice, but can just fully 
look down in our yard from they their can deck. They see us. See us do everything. <laughs> do so, everything. Um, the bug uh. net is actually, like, has a dark tinge to it, so... I don't like being watched. Yeah. It's, it's not like they watch us. No, they don't. They're, they're very, like, they're pretty but they respectful. they like to be outside and... Also, if the grandkids like are there, they just hang over the fence and then stare at us. Because um, they're little kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're very friendly. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of feel like if, if the hammock can be in the backyard, too, that'll be like just a little private space that will feel a little more private in the backyard. Can go out and read a book and not worry about being stared at necessarily <laughs> um, or at least being hidden in my hammock cocoon. It'll be apparent that you are not uh, open for conversation. Absolutely, yes, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, um, that's that was something that kind of helped this week bring a bit of a bright spot. We've got a lot of camping booked in the summer. We're going camping every other week um, in the summer, so that's it's a good thing to mentally throw forward and have as a a looking forward to point. Yeah, when we're not. When we won't be camping in our backyard, we'll be camping other places. Yeah. Around Manitoba. Around Manitoba. We're not planning to uh, to venture out this summer. No, that would be illegal. <laughs> or just unadvised, even if they lift restrictions. No idea. of how, No way to know what it's going to be like. It could be much different by the time you listen to this. <laughs> yeah. You never, <laughs> you never know. You never know. But... <laughs> Yeah, hopefully they don't, um, I feel like that would, if there's one thing that would actually lead to full-scale, the revolt of the people in Manitoba, it would be cancelling camping this summer. Like, if they close the provincial campgrounds and you want to unite the people of Manitoba, uh, behind one cause. everyone in Winnipeg stuck in Winnipeg yeah, for the entire summer. I think it would do it. Like, one of the great things about being in Winnipeg in the summertime is because, like, half the people... Uh, decamp, go out to their cottages and summer homes. And Not if your cottage is in Ontario, though. <laughs> you'll be stuck here in Winnipeg with the rest of us, with the hoi polloi, and nobody's going to be happy about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying thinking about the different ways that if, like, I mean, cottage season is among us, or uh, among us, like, upon us. Like, this is, people will be starting cottage to go out. in your heart. Cod yeah, people will be... <laughs> We don't have a cottage, but... Uh, Our house is the size of a cottage. Yeah. Of a small cottage. Yeah, there's definitely cottages that are bigger. But this is a season that people would be going out to, like, get things opened up and cleaned up. And so I'm, I'm having fun imagining the different ruses that people are going to use to get across the Ontario border uh, to get to... Because a lot of people in Winnipeg have cottages just over the border in Lake of the Woods... Um, Rushing River, places like that. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'd like to, uh, I'd like to see what sort of things people are planning to, to try to evade the OPP. Uh, It'll be more like people from Ontario trying to get in <laughs> to Manitoba. But we're not blocking, we're not blocking them from coming in. <laughs> we will be. Maybe eventually. Um, but we're still allowing planes to uh, to land in Winnipeg, so... You can fly over the border, yeah. Yeah, you can fly. You just get a pontoon plane, you just look, get in your pontoon plane. Because that's where um, the, Gimli, the, the Gimli outbreak, I think, they've they've traced to somebody flying back from unessential, non-essential travel. <laughs> and bringing a 
variant back. Oh, excellent. Just shut down the whole school system in, in a one town. Oh, man. Love it. Hope that uh, family trip to Calgary was worth it. Love to have that I mean, I don't of, know where they rain. went, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely wild. Some people in Manitoba do have private planes. They have, like, mm-hmm. pontoon planes. Well, maybe that's what they could actually and... use the police helicopter for. <laughs> Put it to use. Airdropping people into their uh, cabins in Lake of the Woods. <laughs> yes, that would do it. <laughs> so yeah, that's Hammock Odyssey. Uh, hopefully by the next time we uh, record a podcast, I will uh, have experienced the hammock. Uh, this has been a lifelong dream of mine, and I'm not it, even kidding. Tell. Yeah. Uh, to own a hammock as a kid growing up on welfare, I thought that hammocks were something only rich people had. Um, so I uh, rich people and hobos. <laughs> well, I just thought of it as like you know only rich kids that that I knew had hammocks. Uh, for some reason, I don't know. Um, it's a luxury. Yeah, yeah it's a bit I of a luxury. It. So I'm I'm looking. I forward didn't have to... a hammock either. I thought as a kid, I thought hammocks were pretty cool. Yeah, I think they are pretty cool. Um, what did I do this week? What did you do this week? I booked a vaccination appointment. You did! Woo! There you go. Yeah. Celebrating. Celebrating over. One out of two. One out of two will have to do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One out of two shots. One out of two people in the household. Well, at least I can't now bring something back that would murder you. So that's an improvement. At least I'm protected from you. You are younger than me. You ha- are far more essential. You work <laughs> in a school. I've been laid off for over a year. I sit at home. I don't see anybody. He does do work, folks. He keeps this uh, keeps his household ticking. Uh, I guess, well, that's nice of you to say. <laughs> um, yeah. I do do that. It's true. <laughs> But yet, I'm not the one who needs to be vaccinated. Yeah, this I would say ridiculous. out of the people I've seen post on my social media um, about getting vaccinated, approximately, I want to say somewhere between 50 to 70 percent of them are people I know um, who are working from home currently and don't have children in the school system. So... It's great that people are getting vaccinated, but it is yeah. tough to see the lack of prioritization for, for anyone in the front line. And not just me, but like transit drivers, you know, grocery store workers, you know, just anyone who's going out and interacting with people that, you know, they don't know, they can't control, that yeah. sort of thing. That's that's pretty tough to see. It's, I mean, I mean, it's eye-opening once again when you realize, like... Yeah, where you pe- see people like whoop, whooping, it up, whooping it up on social media. But yeah, I get vaccinated. Awesome, great. You're stoked. Cool. Like, there's no thought to... The thought of everyone that they interact that provides services for them to... Yeah. For their lives to function. Not involved. Not yeah. gonna mention them at all. Uh, I'm not thinking about them. I just want to, to like, celebrate me getting vaccinated. That's it. Yeah, well... 
I mean, it's a tough year for everyone, but it's, uh, I've, I've been, uh, my view on that is that I don't really want to harsh anyone's groove. I am sure anyone who's getting the vaccine will celebrate and has reason to do so. But, uh, as a, as a self-care measure, um, I simply have, uh, like I don't f- sort of I don't brushed know. those folks just out of my social media. So hide the post. I kind of do what is harsh. <laughs> those pe- those groups should be harsh a little bit. Like I don't want to get vaccinated. I want you to get vaccinated. You're more. I'm of not a... stoked about getting vaccinated. I'm not relieved. It doesn't do <laughs> anything for my psyche to like to go get my AstraZeneca shot. I'm gonna do it. Um, I have no problems doing it. I am would rather be vaccinated than not but like i i'm not the one who needs it <laughs> i feel like uh this is a uh a slight reversal of the usual roles where uh usually you have the more compassionate view on on these things than me no uh, the pandemic broke me <laughs> you're done <laughs> no i've no i'm taking a break from compassion for a while i'll go i'll go back to it but i can flip the switch on and off now <laughs> I can be selective. Yes. <laughs> selective about it. Yeah. Compassion all the way on. Yeah, you'll uh, burn out. That'll happen. You can't do compassion all the time. <laughs> it's nice to aspire to. <laughs> well, speaking of compassion uh, in a very different context. Um, so, uh, yeah, part of my tough times this week was um, had like an inflammation episode and I kind of lost fine motor for <laughs> a few days just very odd um but uh I'm, I'm able to use my hands again which is nice um so i figured i would dip back into doing some crafting um in a small way uh and so it's springtime our cat is large and has now been alive for long enough that he knows how to kill birds he's been alive for a while yeah he's about eight years old um he it took to, him eight years to yeah figure to figure it out. it out. He he used no, to he did bird he did he was he's been getting birds for a few years. A few years, yeah. Last year was the year where we really noticed him like actually bagging ma- more. We know you're supposed to keep your cat inside. Yes, we know. We know. We already know. Um, Gene is a kind. He's a he's a former stray. Um, we have tried to convert him to being a house cat like for several months. Um, when he's had like injuries and he's had to wear his comb, we have kept him inside. And try to continue that, but he it's will... It's possible for a cat to bully you into... Yes. Into submission. Yeah. He will break your sanity... He'll break your spirit. ...and your plant pots and your favorite mugs and your sugar bowl, and he'll just escalate um, he until... He can go... Yeah. He can escalate far, far above my tolerance. Yeah. Like, I am... He has no limit. Um, he's my... He knows it too. If he, he holds um, that power. yeah. So if he was gonna be, his options are either be a house cat who's allowed to go out, um, and he's tattooed, he's got tags, um, or he is euthanized or a barn cat. Those are kind of his trajectories in life. So we do yes. let him out. We do try to limit his his um, outside time to sort of daytime hours. Uh, keep him keep him in. Um, when it's not necessarily super hunting time. Um, but yeah, so last year he really got a lot of birds. Um, and it was not 
not nice. So and bunnies. And he yes. started bringing bunnies. Yeah, back. during lockdown, he uh, I guess he decided to start contributing to the household. Um, and it was good. Yeah, it was nice. <laughs> he brought he... us like three or four rabbits. We could have made a stew. Ew, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it wasn't. We had enough. Yeah. We had enough rabbit. And that was not uh, not pleasant. But um, so I saw on the internet they have these um, collars uh, you can put on your cat. And they're super bright colors. You're supposed to use like pinks and oranges and yellows and things like that um, with like busy patterns. And uh, they um, alert the birds uh, to his presence. Bird alert. Yeah, it's a bird alert. So the colors, um, the, the birds are sort of trained to notice those colors. Um, that's, it's within their sight spectrum. So, um, and, and Gene's pretty camouflaged, too. He's brown and tabby, so he really does blend in. I like the idea of Gene hiding stealthily in a pile of leaves or or in a, in a bush or something like that and being perfectly camouflaged except for his <laughs> rainbow-colored yeah. uh, floppy clown collar. Yeah, so <laughs> I went to Fabricland and picked a few um, very busy, bright fabrics um and well i did one prototype i tried making a tube and that did not work at all um and so in typical me fashion um i tried something first that absolutely did not work and then uh found a youtube video on how to do it uh a very nice australia or sorry new zealand lady um and her daughter uh had a video tu tutorial on how to um make the collar so i made a pattern um, I've made a couple of prototypes, um, so it slips right over his collar, which has a breakaway, so it's not like you're adding a scrunchie around your cat's neck. It's no. not like an extra thing that can get caught. It's not going to get caught. Yeah. You're not going to strangle your It's cat. just like a slip cover for his collar. So you, you, you're just basically sewing, like you use, um, a big, um, I used a big round takeaway cover and then <laughs> the lid from a pint jar. Um, to make the pattern on paper and then cut it out in fabric and so and just make it into like a, a circular tube um, So the first one he's wearing he doesn't mind it um, He's not very like fussy about things. So he's he's fine with it um, And but it is it's probably not quite wide enough um, He's got you know, he's got it's a lot of visible. He's got it's a pretty wide yeah, it's okay. But he does have a lot of furries, really fluffy. Yeah, so um, I made another one that was super wide, um, and I think that's too wide. He, uh, he he started fussing with this one a lot more when we put it on. It looks so better on him. It looks... He flops around with, like, the uh, Elizabethan collar. Yeah, absolutely. This is by <laughs> far the more fashionable one. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to try to like, um, I can, I can sew another seam on the outside and make it a little bit narrower and try to hit it between like the first one and the second one and, and uh -huh. find just the optimal, uh, collar width, um, where he will not mind it, but it will be visible. So yeah. Uh, and that, that was fine. I was able to do that with no, not too much trouble to my hands. So um, it was nice to do yeah. a, at least a little bit of crafting this weekend. Seems like you're getting back into it. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll still avoid um, some knitting and and find like the cross stitch just to give my be kind to my hands a little bit longer. But um, you were inflamed this week. Yeah, so it was 
It was a tough one. <laughs> I got so, so angry that my hand stopped working, which has never actually happened to me before. Well, you're getting older. <laughs> I guess I just, yeah, it just strange, strange things. Um, so yeah, so the bird collars. Um, also, I mean, the second one that I made is a very, like, tropical, like, hot pink tropical. It's got, like, leaves. It also has, like, cockatiels on it, which I thought was very funny. Yeah. Um, so putting like a, a collar with birds on it um, was very funny to me. <laughs> so I, I enjoyed that part. Um, and uh, I've got some other ones that are that are also bright. I assume he's these are going to be disgusting after a few days, um, and they'll probably need washing every once in a while because he mm-hmm. rolls around in the dirt uh, all the time. Especially now that he's shedding, he's having a good old roll in the dust uh, a mm-hmm. lot of the time. He's a dirt cat. Yeah. You did a bird trip yesterday? Yeah, we went out to the St. Vital uh, Duck Pond. Yeah, after going to um, Oak Hammock Marsh last week and seeing, like, zero ducks. Yeah, we were, we were really not <laughs> there at the quiet. right time. No, we were, it's not the marsh's fault. We were at uh, kind of, like, it was bird, a beautiful day, bird nap time. It was a beautiful day to be out there, but... That kind of four o'clock, birds are either like napping or they're in mid-migration. Yeah. They're so usually migrating during the day. The But the St. Vitale, the duck pond... Hopping. Never ceases to, uh, to, de- to deliver. Yes. Yes, it's mostly geese. <laughs> but, like, sprinkled amongst the geese are actual ducks. <laughs> and interesting ducks. Yeah. Um, not just, you know... Not just the regular mallards. There's also a healthy amount of uh, of wood ducks. Way the more, best ducks. yeah, way more wood ducks than there were, like I'd say even a few years ago. There's yeah. been a steady increase and in the migration. Wood ducks. I think it's the tail end of migration yeah. now, so you can still see some cool ducks. We saw two ducks yesterday that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. The ruddy ducks. The ruddy ducks. And they were just two ruddy ducks, either like females or juveniles yeah. and the, they spent the whole time that we were there at least that we could see just diving repeatedly in one in one spot mm-hmm. and uh when they dove down they're like little little ducks they're smaller than wood ducks well, and that's what th- i think they were whether whatever sex they are i think they're both juveniles like I, they their tails were very small like they just don't seem fully grown yet they were pretty cute um like pocket-sized ducks, and they would get air when they dove down. They'd mm-hmm. sort of like do like a like an arc. Very graceful. <laughs> Extremely graceful. And no quick. splash. No splash. But then when they're down, like rooting around on the bottom, you couldn't see them, obviously. But you, you can see turbulence in the water. The bubbles. Just like above where they were, and then sure enough, after like a couple seconds, they yeah pop back up. I, and they did I, that the entire time we were there. I looked it up, and they're they're looking for like aquatic insects. Ah, uh, that's not, what they're not plants. No, they're well. I don't know if also plants, but they are. Yeah, they're looking for um, aquatic insects. Uh, that's what they're diving down for. There's been a few. I saw I saw some green winged teals on the Red River when oh, I went yeah. out walking this weekend. There's more ducks um, in general. The river's much lower than it's been in years, um, I would say. And so a large, there's a, a relatively like large shelf of flat riverbank that's visible 
um, on either side. And for years, the river's been high enough that that part has been hidden. Um, and it's just been more of a sheer wall along the river. So um, the uh, we use the eBird app, which will kind of let you know what people have been sighting in your area. So there's been a lot more. Um, I haven't seen them, but uh, there's more like wading birds and different kinds of birds um, and ducks that you don't normally see uh, in our neighborhood just because of how low the river is. And then after the birds, we went to Valley Village. We did. For the first time in a year, I think, for me anyway. I, yeah, you haven't been. I have briefly popped in. We needed a um, toaster oven. We needed a toaster oven. The place was hopping. And for the first time, did you notice when we walked in? We didn't comment, but... There's like a security, like a big bird, yeah, black clad, black Oakleys wearing, yeah, uh, security guard. Like those are those. So those have been there for. You've missed I'm, the. Uh, I've never seen, but the thing is, like, there's a security guard at Valley Village. At Valley Village, yeah. These are secondhand items. These are things that people have already thrown away. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and you have a security guard to stop people from stealing well, things that people have already like dumped. So this is something I've seen just the development a, of more than maybe you have, because I, I tend to be the one who goes to the thrift store. And yeah. so, like, last year when the pandemic was starting, um, I, I wouldn't go super often, but I'd, I'd stop in to grab a few things. Um, and there was a few times, and this is a specific value village in the city down Pemina, um, a few times I saw folks uh, being stopped by the employees of value, value Village and accused of stealing. Um, and they mm -hmm. probably were taking things, but let's, you know, be honest, one, yeah, Value Village is... Uh, especially when it's, it's people who, a lot of people just drop stuff off there. Like, they pay yeah. the Diabetes Association when they get stuff from those boxes. Like, I mean, seeing the security guard at Valley Village and, yeah. like, the nonsense of guarding secondhand. Oh, yeah, people, just the completely Things insane. that people have thrown away. Yeah. Valley Village shouldn't exist. There should... Yeah, yeah absolutely. And a lot stuff, of that stuff... It if just it needs to be in a room where you can go take it. If it doesn't sell, it, it why goes does to the landfill. Like, why... Why does Value Village exist? I mean, Value Village back in the day, um, you know, used to be, uh, it used to be much cheaper the way that the MCC and, and other, like the Goodwill still is very cheap. Well, even that's getting more expensive. Yeah. Too. So, I mean, um, but uh, yeah, so I, I've seen a few times Value Village employees um, like stopping people, asking them to empty their bags and things like that, which is awful. Um, because like, like what there's, yeah. If it doesn't sell, it goes to the, you know, it goes to the dump. You're not losing anything. Um, but, uh, I assume, yeah. So I've seen, I've seen the security guard, um, not one that decked out. Like he was before. like, he was really decked out. out. Yeah. <laughs> like, like he had, Bounced out of the regular cops. Or yeah, like he, he was an older on. guy too. Yeah, ridiculous. Um, but he was wearing his like his Oakleys inside the store. So, <laughs> like obviously, what has happened is that uh, at first, um, Value Village employees were being expected to deal with like loss prevention, and now Value Village it has become yeah, such a know. and I'm <laughs> you can't see my air quotes like issue for them because they're profit motivated. 
as a company. Um, like, who that, owns Valley Village? Like, what is the profit? Is it, It's owned by Walmart now, I think. Unless uh, that's a urban myth. I'm not sure. Could be an urban legend. But, like... But it is a corporation. Just the the business model of, like, we're a private enterprise where we where you give us the stuff that you don't want anymore. You give us these... You give us these commodities. Yeah. And then we uh, we mark them up. Then we sell them at a profit. Yeah. And we make money doing that. Yeah. Where, like... At most, what you need, you could have just, like, a drop-off depot where people could just... If you have something that's perfectly good, you don't need it anymore, you don't want it anymore, it's not for you, but it still works. You can bring it down to a room, and then you could have it minimally staffed and, like, run it at cost, and then, like, you could have minimal... Maybe you could price the luxury goods or something yeah. if you want to, but... Uh, so you're... Yeah, and it's, you know, it's tough because, like, I mean, I, I prefer to thrift most of my stuff if I can. We both do. So you're kind of caught between like either... that would be something... That would be a good cooperative... Yeah, you're project. kind of caught between, at least in Winnipeg, you're caught between shopping at a for-profit corporation that hires security um, and... Or, or I guess, um, shopping at a like faith-based shop, um, know, which I'm fine with, but a lot of people aren't. Um, anyone else I know who the solution thrifts, um, prefers to go to Value Village for that reason. Yeah, but the solution is like is to make a library, like um, a lending, like a library for stuff that you don't want or need anymore. So there are some organizations. Um, that do hold so when I worked at I used to work at a consignment um clothing store many years ago in Wolseley. It doesn't exist anymore. Um but anything we didn't sell we put in bags and we would give it to um these folks who would take it um to a community center um in the West End where uh every week people could come down and just pick what they needed. Mm-hmm. Um, out of out of what didn't sell in the consignment store, um, and there are some nonprofit organizations in Winnipeg where the profits are going towards, um, like working with homeless folks or unhoused folks or addictions and things like that. They're they tend to be pretty small shops. There's nothing on like the scale of an MCC or Value Village, mm-hmm. um, and I mean the appeal of Value Village for a lot of people is how organized it is and that's where you've seen the rise of like when i was a kid and i was poor it was not cool to go to the thrift store i did not want to be seen in the thrift store as a poor kid because it was very funny because like my mom i just remember one specific time my mom took me to one in regina and i was a kid and i was like i don't want to go i don't want to go i don't want to go and she's like why don't you want to go to the store uh to the value (laughs) village and i was like well then Everyone who sees us in there is going to know that we're poor. <laughs> and she just looks at me. She's like, we are we poor. Are poor. Yeah. That's why we're going That's to the, the value village. Uh, Everybody already knows. Like, everyone who's in the store is the same as us. <laughs> You're right. Just, like, it's only poor people here. We don't even live here. <laughs> yes. But I was just so wrapped up. Now, I, you know, I, I'm an adult and um, I don't I don't care and, and uh, it doesn't bother me or anything. Um, but, uh, now but of course, like, thrifting no, is, is cool now. And it's like, it's business. I mean, it's big. It's literally people's business. Okay. You hear when I was a teenager and like a little bit of money, it was a big th- thrill. You'd go down to the, 
to uh, our neighborhood uh, MCC store, I could actually like I don't know buy like a weird looking shirt or like some records. You could actually get like good records. I think I got a copy, my copy of Pink Floyd's The Wall for like fifty cents at the Nivervale MCC, like in the nineties, and like get cardigan and old man pants. You. Uh, you want to do your, like, grunge look or whatever. Yeah. And, like... Your 90s starter pack. Your 90s starter pack. You could walk in there with 10 bucks and, like, walk out. I'm... I'm ready. Yeah. It's 90s time. <laughs> and, then, and it was awesome. And there's old ladies working there. Always, like, grandmas. Yeah. Um, Which is still the case in most of the shops, in the MCC shops. Yeah. And it, there wasn't a stigma to, like... I didn't think there was a stigma to going to the to the thrift shop. I like, think there, nobody, for, for you it was probably different because of the MCC. It. Yeah. In Moosebin, we didn't have that. So it was, it, my town is a little more like, uh, it was a status symbol to be able to go to the no. city to get <laughs> your stuff. And it would be new. We didn't have a thrift store in town when I was a kid. There's yeah. one now. Well, it was, I think the MCC, like the thrift stores would be... Well, the, the idea of mutual aid is really, really popular now. But that's yeah. like li- really what it what it was. Yeah, is like if you got stuff, everyone in the community would bring in the stuff. Yeah, everyone in the community would get stuff. Yeah, uh, for ridiculously cheap. Yeah, and it was just like you didn't think about it. Yeah, it wasn't a big deal. This wasn't like a super. Oh, we're doing a charity for poor people. No, it was like this is just what uh, communities do. Yeah, <laughs> right. And then, like, and then it changed over time. They started marking up prices to, like, yeah, to, like, actual, well, like, market value. They're, like, and yeah. pricing them. Or over market. I mean, I used to work in selling antiques, and um, there's one specific MCC store that sells furniture and more of their vintage stuff. And whoever they have making their prices has some sort of idea of what things might be worth, but also yes. had no sense of what the trends were in antique and vintage. Because there's always there's always trends. Like, uh, yes. not, not everything that's old is popular or in style. Um, and so when I worked at the antique store, if something was... Um, more, I'd say, like, just standard Victorian, you know, it wouldn't be worth as much um, when mid-century modern was the thing that was popular <laughs> now. Yeah. Uh, or for a while, the, um, like, the 50s chrome and arborite tables were a hot ticket, but they're not as popular anymore. They fell out of fashion um, as a vintage mm-hmm. item, but you still saw the thrift stores marking them up super high. When it was really just a, a blip where they were sort of regular price, regular price. They got yeah. hot for like a few years and then it kind of fell out as a, the mid-century wave kind of took over. Um, so, yeah. but, so you saw the thrift stores, they kind of knew what things were and what they were sort of worth, but they would mark anything old indiscriminately expensive. Yeah. Regardless of how popular it may not be may or may not be it seems to also like coincide with like there was presence of like i noticed there were managers at thrift stores a little bit more yeah i remember being at a big mcc thrift store in the city yeah and it looked like there was like you had your regular 
Yeah. Grannies at the till. Were you with me at the time? But and then, then there was, also... like, a middle-aged man yeah. sort of, like, hovering over them and, like, berating them for, like, uh, giving a customer a discount. Oh, I didn't. I don't and, think like, I remember that, but I yeah. Yeah, it was, some, it was something like that. Yeah. I'm not making it up. Maybe <laughs> fudging the... <laughs> The scenario a little well, bit, but it's like, what the, this, that is not the spirit yeah. of a, th of a thrift store. That is anti-thrift store. Like, the idea of a, a thrift store is like, so like, people who don't have a lot of money can still have cool, good stuff. It's, when you start pricing secondhand items at market or above market value, you're pricing poor people out of having cool stuff. Well, <laughs> and what also starts, so there's kind of like two threads people to that. Like me. <laughs> there's yeah, there's two threads to that too. It's that part of it is that an ecosystem of uh, pickers, people who would go and pick vintage clothes, vintage items and resell them Re in markets or upcycling. flea markets. Yes, yeah, so the there was sort of the thrift store was like And the, that was insane. I can't I remember when I found out about that. Well, if you think about it as a pyramid, right? Like the 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 thrift store is kind of like um the second the second level. The first the bottom like the bottom level is like is like picking it out of the trash, going to an estate sale, right. finding it in your grandpa's closet, going to garage sales. Like that's like the bottom level of like if you're picking for resale. Picking is a little bit more it seems like a little bit more I mean it's kind of scuzzy but a little bit more noble than well it, it's a little more effort um, a little more effort you actually you have do to have to like effort. rent a space in some way to sell your stuff or um part like of it was scuzzy on in that like it's not uh disreputable well or maybe it is it's There's outside of the I, not scuzzy it's just more of like it is outside of the formal economy in a lot of ways because a lot of people like what kind of happened was that um with the advent of kijiji um people uh, and shows like Canadian Pickers and all these reality shows, um, people just were like, well, I can make a couple of bucks going to the thrift store, finding something old and reselling it on Kijiji for a couple more bucks. And that's what yeah. you had people listing like, you know, small items on Kijiji, like as individual items. Um, and so like that didn't last very long. Like that sort of the ecosystem for that collapsed really quickly. But it wasn't sustainable. I mean, like the but the thrift store scavengers. I like. I remember when I started seeing them. Yeah, around, it was like there was, yeah, someone with like who had piled their like cart up with like a specific type of jeans or yeah or shirt or whatever, and I'm like, real. Why do you need that many? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh wait a minute, you're gonna you're gonna sell those. Yeah. You're gonna you have like a stall or so a business that's or where... something. It's like. This isn't a This isn't supposed to be for a business. You leave those nice things there. Those are for poor people. Well, but this is where thrift stores started to realize that there, you know, was yeah, a lot started, more profit than they had. It's true. Appreciated yeah. um, moving through their stores without them absorbing that that end of the profit, and so it came in that. I mean, especially Value Village, because it is owned by a corporation, even though they, they really try to front it as a fundraiser for Diabetes Canada. Um, but, uh, and and the MCC and other, they, they did look and they're like, okay, well, instead of these pickers making the prices, um, we are going to start pricing these things at what the pickers are selling them for. True. So even when I worked at 
the antique store, you would sometimes get calls from people asking like, hey, do you have this sort of thing? And how much do you have it priced at? Or like people coming in, like writing down prices of things. And they're like, they're almost certainly from some sort of operation just scoping out what are the retail thrift or secondhand prices for these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was very, uh, and, and so that happened and that's where the, the price hike has gone up. Um, but I will say for somewhere like, so for value village, the prices have gone up globally. Uh, like everything has gotten more expensive. Um, is there like, is value village, I mean, like, is it a multinational yeah, it's definitely run out of the U.S. and Canada. Like, when you know. donate your stuff to Valley Village, well, I guess it stays in that store? Or do, the, do I they think ship s- it out? I think some stuff is shipped around, but... Um, you so, think they ship it over... It doesn't go overseas, Well, anything that... I think things that are left over tend to get shipped overseas. Right. Or to landfills. But, um... So, uh... So Value Village um, and these places... So Value Village, though, has, has gl- like, everything's gotten more expensive. Um, like, the other day, well, when we were in there getting our toaster, I found a rain barrel, oh, and yeah. they had it marked for $70. $70 through the hole. <laughs> and I tipped, it, I tipped it over, because I was like, come on, like, this can't even be, like, a, there's no way this is, like, a, a functioning you, rain barrel. You I, could patch the, the leak, I You suppose. could, sort of, but it's very, like, heavy plastic. Like, it would be... Um, so you maybe could, like, stick some silicone or something in there, some, like, high-level epoxy and fix it. Um, but, like, they just put it out on the floor with a crack about halfway around the faucet hole, the drain hole at the bottom. (laughs) Which is why somebody took it to the thrift store, because people are so, uh, people feel so bad about throwing things away now. It's broken. 70 bucks for a broken rain barrel. Have it... Put it out on your curb for free. Let someone take it and fix it. Yeah, so... You're adding in labor. But people feel so guilty for throwing things away now that they will take lots of broken things into these thrift stores. And depending... I mean, there's a, a huge volume of stuff that comes in for the people who work there to be sorting. Um, but they have a central computer that tells them how much stuff is. Really? Yes, they do. So I've seen them, like, look up prices and stuff like that. So they... But uh, you can... I, I would say um, anytime I found an actual deal still at Value Village um, is when, like, something vintage evades their, like, categorization. Yeah. Um, so they'll have, like, you know, uh, certain labels for uh, used clothing that are higher-end labels. Mm-hmm. They'll label higher. But if it's not in the system, then the, whoever's working is taking their best guess. True. So... Like things that like the um, yeah anything I've found as as like a good deal has been something that kind of like doesn't fit into their set categories in also, the system. So Value Village has gotten almost globally more expensive. Just everything in the store is more expensive. But I'd say somewhere like MCC, um, certain things have gotten more expensive. They're vintage items, but they've right. kept like the mass the, like the vast majority of stuff that's in the MCC is still like. 50 cents, $2, quarter. Like, it's, it, they're still um, at least adhering to that. Well, most of this is very accessible and available to people, but we take the best of the stuff that comes in um, and we mark it up. And I think they're, the idea mm-hmm. that they have is that that contributes to operations. And I think that's a more understandable 
Yeah. Way of but it also means that, it. like, nicer, more vintage things are then inaccessible to. Again, yeah, are then inaccessible to, to poor people completely. It's like, poor people have good taste. They want things that are nice. I know. Uh, <laughs> That's what I thought. It's like, I don't have a lot of money, but uh, I like cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have good taste. I know what I like. I'd be, it'd be nice to have, like, that nice jean jacket. Oh, no. It's 20 bucks. But that also, when you have... When you get a little bit more money, if you, if your circumstances improve and you're going to Valley Village and you're looking at a pair of jeans that's now priced between twenty and thirty dollars, you know instead of rooting through the aisles and, and aisles of of uh, Valley Village or thrift shop jeans, and you get like your maximum of eight items or whatever, and you go try them on and none of them fit, and you think, why am I going to go through all that? I could just go to Winners and get a new pair of jeans that I know is going to fit and maybe like last longer for the same price or maybe like a little bit more. So I'm, um, instead of, you know, buying the secondhand item, I'm going to buy new stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, yeah, there's, there's, I don't know that there's, uh, and then it's a, yeah, it's there's, a no, of a like, full, there's no way to fully like ethically. There's no way you can ethically act your way out secondhand of secondhand shop. I mean, probably the, the, closest I've ever come is pre-pandemic. Um, I had a friend who would hold semi-regular clothing swaps where uh-huh. everyone would bring a couple bags of stuff they didn't want anymore. See, that's different. We'd all lay it out and then you just... Like a of, rummage sale. Yeah, and you just pick up the items that you or wanted. Or plant swap. Yeah, and then whatever people didn't want at the end would go to the thrift store. Uh, but it's still, it's, it's because of this advent of fast fashion that these thrift stores especially like Valley Village, are able to um, turn a profit. Like, this is why, because clothing um, doesn't last as long. Mm-hmm. People are able to buy it, like, new, much cheaper. And so there is the volume moving through these thrift stores in in such a way that they can turn an actual profit. Whereas, you know, even when we were kids... Um, people didn't get rid of their clothes at the same rate. They didn't buy new clothes at the same rate. Oh, no. Because when you were a kid, even, I, I would say a lot of clothes well, were get... still made in Canada. Or uh, if made in China, like, uh, a little more sturdily. Well, also, you didn't get a lot of new clothes as a kid, or at least, like, I didn't, because kids grow so fast. Yeah. But you're going to spend money on a new piece of on a new shirt or jeans, unless it's like for church or the first or photo day at school or something like that. Yeah, a special exactly. occasion. Yeah, your regular running around Wednesday day clothes are gonna be hand me downs. Yeah, or second if you have yeah hand me downs. Older cousins or older brothers cousins, or sisters. Yeah, siblings. It's like you're gonna wear this for six months and you're gonna be too big for it. So why you don't need you don't need new clothes for all that. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's, if, if, if the volume of, and like, I feel like this idea that I'm starting to come to or have already come to is that just, um, like if we never produced a new type of style or culture, so much has been produced in the 20th and this century well, that conjured out we've got air. enough. 
Like, We've ha- we have enough styles, I think. We don't need any more styles. <laughs> you just kind of keep <laughs> it's rotating. It's all recycled anyway. Yeah, we're all just, now we're just at the point we're that there's just around. so much, we just rotate through, uh, you it's know, true. now it's the 90s, we're out of we're ideas. back. Um, <laughs> it's and, fine to be out of ideas. But it's it's good because there's so many, use not good, it's not good because there's a ton of fabric wastage and, and so much of labor abuse that happens in the production of, of clothing and environmental abuse that happens in the production of clothing. Oh yeah. Um, but like you could just stop producing you clothing stop and you would still have enough for like I, I mean, I, everyone yeah. for, I mean, there's, you know, I can't even imagine things. how long. Yeah. It doesn't take much to see how like manufacturing clothing for the market is insane. It doesn't make any sense. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't compute on any like on any rational level. Um, like there's a couple things that like just clearly like don't work as as market commodities like uh, food, water, clothing, housing. Like like those things are. I don't know. Just through our talking about like how Value Village works, it's. It's obvious that these these things shouldn't be produced for sale at a profit because there's you get into all these little conundrums and yeah and paradoxes and contradictions and so lesson is uh, buying used is good but uh, don't feel like you are uh, exceptionally pure uh, for doing so because there is a big burly security guard at Value Village, uh, specifically there to intimidate poor people <laughs> um, from stealing something that... from taking something. I don't think it's stealing when they're taking something they need. Um, from yeah, taking absolutely. something that they that they need and should be provided for them. Um, so, yeah. Uh, good, good thrift <laughs> store rant. That was a great thrift store rant. Um, I, I have like one, I have one more thing that I, I'd like to talk about. Is it a rant? Um, no, it's very quick. Um, I, I feel like we're probably hitting, like, our our time that we... Oh, yeah, we're at an hour now. Okay, well, can I throw in my last... Uh... I, have a, I have a couple things, too. Okay. Fun things. Back to life is sweet. Yeah, back to the, the sweeter life but, things. But, like, when you're trying to live a sweet life, sometimes <laughs> you're trying to go about your business, living your sweet life, you're doing the best you can... You try to be you ethical a, and go to the thrift store, and, and this, like, uh, it's militarized. This, yeah, you go to your militarized Valley Village. You're like, what the? What? I know we're not supposed to swear. You can, <laughs> say, you can say heck. What What the heck is going on here? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to live my life. Yeah. And you put a soldier, you militarized the Valley Village. Yeah. Ah! Yeah. Back to the anyway. Back um, to the sweet line. <laughs> so another thing I've been doing this week after I had my uh, anger inflammation blowout um, because I couldn't really uh, knit or or do these things is I've I've started reading and I thought I just need something that is uh, fiction but like not challenging in any way. I just need to like read an adventure story. And so yeah, I happen to have I need, uh, I need to do that too. Yeah, I happen to have the first volume of the Expanse uh, series. So uh Leviathan Leviathan Wait Wakes? Ugh, I can't talk right now. The Leviathan Expanse is the Wakes. best thing, is the only good thing that Bezos has given us. <laughs> 
or brought back or anyway. brought back anyway. So uh, you, for those unfamiliar, um, both of us and possibly you um, became familiar with the Expanse. It is a show that's on Amazon. It was on TV, but was canceled and brought back uh, by Prime. Um, it is a uh, sci-fi set uh, in the future where um, Earth and a revolutionary, now independent Mars um, are both uh, colonial powers that exploit the belt and the belters, um, uh, people who have for generations oh, yeah. uh, been born and have physically adapted to living uh, in low gravity um, and just literally can't come back to the uh, without without severe medical intervention can't come back to even Mars or, or especially Earth because of the high high gravity um, so the series um, and the books uh, as I'm reading them um, sort of track two storylines that become one storyline um both starting in the belt uh one following Julie now yeah so one following uh a detective on series station so sort of one of the biggest ports in the asteroid belt um and uh uh so series is it is a big asteroid in our in our so these are all real asteroids and planets of Jupiter and and um, uh, it sounds like, uh, I think it's, it's the, uh, the furthest point out is, is Uranus, like a, a, um, a moon of Uranus is like where the furthest sort of station is. Um, but it's like a couple of, I know you want to make a joke, <laughs> but don't do it. I appreciate you the- saying like, just going full bore Uranus and then not chickening out and saying Uranus. No. I approve. No. You just have to do it. You got to do it. Yeah. You just you just got to get it over. With. Um. Anyways, <laughs> so uh, yeah, there's a detective. Um, he he's on this uh, station. Um, he is a belter. Um, he Miller. He's been uh, tasked with uh, tracking down a rich man's daughter who has uh, yes. bucked her family to join the Outer Planets Alliance. A a um group advocating for the sovereignty of the belt um to an anti-colonial uh group um and uh and then there's a sort of the second stream is um the crew from a ice hauler uh led by james holden they are drawn out to a um distressing signal um on a ship and while they on their smaller ship uh crew of Five and then eventually four, um, while they're drawn out to investigate um, this uh, distress signal, their giant ice hauler is torpedoed and destroyed. Um, but they survive, um, and they, uh, yeah, so they they manage to escape. Um, so both these streams. Um, are leading towards a central plot point um, revolving around the discovery of an extraterrestrial particle um, that is being weaponized by the uh, forces of capitalism in this system um, who are tied into the political functioning of (laughs) Earth and Mars. Um, So yeah, we... uh, I've only read about like a hundred pages, so where I am in the book so far, I mean, we've seen the whole series. There's is it five seasons now? 
Five. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's five seasons now. Um, I don't want to like throw out too many spoilers or anything. So um, watch it. Yeah, I'm I'm up to the point where uh, the crew from the Canterbury has been uh, picked up by the Doninger. Yes. The, uh, the Mars uh, Mars has its own navy as well, space navy. Um, they've been picked up by Mars, who is mad that they are being blamed for destroying the ice hauler. Um, so, and then Miller is is um, realizing that there's more to uh, the Julie Mao thing than just uh, um, a, dis- uh, a missing or a rebellious rich girl. He's he's starting to mm. realize that there's something else going on. I'd say um, the Holden storyline mm-hmm. in the book so far. Um, it tracks very closely to the series. Like, it's uh, almost step really? for step. Cool. Um, except that now that they're on the Martian ship, um, so in the in the series, Holden is taken to, like, the main deck where things are happening, like, with the captain. With them, yeah. Uh, in the book, he's stuck back in with the rest of them. What? When the fighting, before the, oh, when the I attack see. starts. They need some have him up on yeah the they bridge. had to put him in like to, to be able to explain what's happening on the bridge in the series or in the yeah in the in the in tv the series yeah. they had to put him in different places but in the book he's he's put back in uh so yeah uh they've now become a crew of four um so that's kind of where i'm at it's it's very like it's uncomplicated uh i, I guess because i've also read the uh, or i've seen the series so maybe that makes it um, feel even less complicated. It's just a, you know, it's an adventure story. It's got these political aspects. It's got class um, uh, analysis. Uh, in in the book, um, it's made it's even got action. It's got romance. Well, and in the book too, it's made comedy. even like in the series. Of course, the people who are playing the Belters and the Earthers and the Martians all look the same because we're all still one species, but in the book, um, like people have been living in the belt for you know about two hundred years, so there's yeah. been several generations of of people um, who've grown up uh, in less than Earth's gravity, um, and so they've started to physically look different. It's like what we were talking about last time with the the Mars trilogy. Yeah, so the- similar similar thing. Lots of ideas from that are clearly borrowed for this. This is just a little. More action-packed. Um, it probably, I'm, like... Well, and, and it extrapolates, basically, from... from it's what? like it picks up where the Mars trilogy leaves off. Yeah. Uh, and there's probably, like, a little bit more action. Yeah, there's a, little, yeah, there's a lot more action. Um, but, yeah, in the book, it's more clear how different the Belters look. Yeah. Um, and and even the Mars trilogy... This how different the Martians look. Yeah, they're, the Mars trilogy is not the same author as... Yeah. The uh, Leviathan Wakes as the Expanse. Yeah. Series. So and the this one is written by um, two people, and one of who is uh, was George R. R. Martin's like assistant. Oh. Um. And so yeah. So in the like in the book, the Earthers uh, are are to the Belters. They're short. They're squat. Like even just like a regular sized person for them is very like very short, very squat. Yeah. Um, and due to low G, the belters are long and very thin. Um, Fragile. They can't... They um, take lots of medication to keep their... The belters their... can't actually go back to Earth. Like, they wouldn't be no, able to survive on Earth. No, they can't, yeah. Yeah, they, they, 
they uh, due to their gravity. The gravity, Earth's gravity, would crush them. Yeah, their bones and muscles are not. It's like uh, the uh, the uh, blobfish. Yeah. That, or I guess it's the the reverse blobfish. It's what the blobfish looks up like when you take it from the bottom of the ocean. It's like the reverse. Yeah, the blobfish needs the pressure. Yeah, exactly. The blobfish needs the pressure to survive. I guess yeah. that'd be like us. Well, no, we can survive in zero gravity. It'll make kind of. But yeah, even so, I mean, the the Holden parts are told from Holden's perspective, and so, um, like when they travel in high G, the Belters recover much quick, like more quickly than the Earth people do. Mm. So they like they they can handle like space travel and the changes and and everything a lot better um and uh they sort of refer to if, um, uh, i have a question yeah if epstein was a belter would he have survived his high g burn uh i don't think so because to and same as what they do in the series um when they kick into high g for long periods the seats like fill them with uh there's needles that come out of the seats and mm. and pump them full of drugs that allow them to like anti-stroke medication and anti-nausea medication that's what it is there's like Do a they cocktail it in the yeah book? they explain there's like a cocktail cool of of meds that they're pumped full of yeah. um and so that's why they don't they don't um you know it's not like uh oh whatever we're kicking into high g thing they prefer not to kick the Epstein drives into high gear yeah. because they get the meds and then when the meds wear off there's a big crash mm. um like a hangover yeah there's like a hangover um especially for Holden because he's from earth and less used to it mm. but uh yeah so there's there's um there's a crash after it so it's not like yeah they they you know any ships prefer not to enter like high G or go for a hard burn um on the regular. Hmm. And uh Holden's always talking about right now just how ugly the ships are. <laughs> um nice. they're hideous. Uh they have no design. Um like the Belcher ships or just all the ships. All the ships. All the ships. Because they They show that in the sh in the show too. Yeah, like they're, they're kind just... of just like formless Yeah. Little blobs it was like scaffolding with engines. Like he refers to the Martian ship as an office tower tipped on its side. Sweet. Um, which is that's what it looks like. That is show. what it looks like. Um, so yeah, uh, it's not like you know, most of these ships um, are not meant for atmospheric flight because um, they don't need to be, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so they they're just yeah they're just like big, rect metal rectangles. Um, yeah. With a drive stuck onto the back of them. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, yeah. And you could each of the in the show they do a good job of differentiating the designs differences between the three factions: Earth, Mars, and, yeah. and the Belt. The Belt ships are all extremely utilitarian. Yeah, just very just metal skeletons with little like pods and an engine. Yeah, stuck to it. And the um, the Mormon ship. Yeah. Also, is just a gigantic spinning drum. It looks like with... the thing from like inside your dryer. Yes. Yeah. It's a a dryer drum. Yeah. In space. Yeah. Dryer drum in space. Yeah. So I started reading this. It's a fun read. I will probably just keep buying the books. Um, it's a really good. Just 
don't want to think about other things, uh, it'll really suck you in. Um, don't think about it. Yeah. Read the book. Yeah. So, and uh, the series is great, uh, but you get a little more of the context in the book. Um, and of course, uh, things are like, yeah, some things, some things are different, but the, I'm interested to see how close it tracks further on to this in the series. Like, mm -hmm. I think I, from what I've read, it tracks pretty closely to the first three books. Um, but we'll see if it, if it continues to, but, um, yeah, so it's, it's good, good read, uh, good for my brain. Yeah. Enjoying it very much. Read the book. Hopefully by the time um, we record the next podcast, teachers will have been vaccinated. And Here's then you can... hoping. Like, uh, you can detach from, like, the Epstein drive <laughs> of, <laughs> of life, of the high G burn. Yeah. Get over that, that, that is the, That is what it was like this week, was I, I was doing a pretty good job. I was you exercising, I was... You know, you really sewing, um, do my thing. Uh, I was really impressed. I was really <laughs> proud of you. You were very inspiring. And then just, <laughs> I, I, Monday I was feeling okay. I, I did my workout. And then the next day I was kind of like, oh, I feel a little sore. Maybe I overdid <laughs> it. I don't think I did. Um, but then like, it was like, oh, um, we're pushing back the hotspot announcement by another few days, even though it's Hot been a spot. whole week. Um, right. You're thinking, and, oh, schools are going to be high risk zones. Yeah, and Sweet, I'm so, going to get vaccinated. And then they dropped the oh, AstraZeneca, no. so it was like, yeah, I was All watching. All things were pointing to good. Yeah, and I was like, well, we didn't. But a lot of my colleagues were able to get uh, appointments because they were over forty. That's good. Um, but my friend, my one friend, is thirty nine. Uh. Was tough, real tough. Um, but. Uh, Oh. Yeah, but uh, so that was that that elevated uh, things, and then Wednesday, just some some news about uh, um, my school being expected to invite students back. Uh, Watch for uh, to be. You'll be you. You'll might have the general public might have heard about it. Well, by the time this comes out. If they haven't, we'll take this part out. The, the parents, podcast. the parents know that. Um, so kids in my school are are, are yeah, the parents coming know. back. I guess um, you can talk about it. Yeah, they're coming back. Um, what for the two people who listen to this, or if if we're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, uh, the parents. parents um, and, uh, yeah, so kids kids are coming back, but they're not coming back into the classroom, which is lucky. It's if the parents want to send them on their at home learning days. Uh, they're being locked in the gym pretty much all day, which is, and I just sort of felt bad for the, um, phys ed teachers who were losing their teaching space, um, that sort of thing. But we'll see. I'm, uh, I'm feeling a little more, I took a, I took a mental health day. I've had the weekend. Saw some ducks. Saw some ducks. Saw read some a book. Stuff. Um, watch my garden show as I do every every uh, week. Self-care. Yeah. Self-care. Got some. Um, hopefully, I, I think we'll be able to get down to some more gardening stuff in the next week or two uh, as it warms up. So that's something to look forward to. Yep. There's things. There's things that are there. We're hurtling headlong into spring. And there's good stuff that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I think we're... I read a book. You read a book. <laughs> we're not done yet. Okay, I'm starting to read a new book too, but mm -hmm. it's not 
I'm not starting to read it, and the book's not new. This has been happening for a while. I started reading it last year, and then I put it down to finish the Mars Trilogy. And uh, This man loves big books, folks. Another, another big book. <laughs> I got about halfway through before I took a break. Um, People's History of the World by Chris Harmon. Is he, is he dead? He was in Highgate Cemetery. When so we, we saw him. We, we visited him. him. Yes, we did. Yeah. Cool. I didn't, uh, I wasn't reading this book at the time, but, uh, saw where, where he's spending eternity, or at least his remains are. We'll edit that out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so far so good. People's History of the World. I'm in chapter, it's finished chapter eight, um, about the American Civil War. And looking forward to getting into chapter 9, The Conquest of the East. Ah. Getting into some real uh, real colonization. Well, em- empire. Yeah, and I think that's something I don't know. I know, you know, some things about, but I don't know as much about. Um, I mean, if you go through the Canadian high school and undergrad system, um, you can uh, get through a history-focused education without learning much of anything about Asia or Africa. Yeah, um, I know history. very, very little about yeah. the, um, like the Europeans. I guess like encounters with uh, with Asia. Well, <laughs> from their can... perspective, especially right from from the perspective of those being colonized yes. and their experience of what. And and what their or cultures being, were what, before uh, opening up a market means. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine the air quotes around that uh, for any listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, oh, opening up a market. It's like you put the open sign on your shop window. Yeah. Except you do it for a whole continent. Well, that's what it is, right? And I would say that I sounds mean, okay. I went to undergrad at you know a pr- my history department was pretty Marxist, I'd say, overall, but um, it was very small, uh, and there was nobody who specialized in... Did you read this when you were in No, I didn't. Um, But this is your book. This is Jill's book. Yeah, I I bought that one. Every book that I read is Jill's book, really. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. I I did buy that one, but, um, you know, uh, we didn't have any specialists in African or Asian history. We had one Latin American specialist uh, who I just personally didn't vibe with, so I didn't take her classes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I tried to do some, you know, independent reading um, more on those areas, but there's just so much that I feel like... I, I recently read uh, The Jakarta Method um, oh. about Indonesia and um, oh. uh, how... Uh, and Africa, um, and South America in the 60s, um, and just realizing, you know, I kind of knew some of these parts, but just how much we don't know about. Zero. Um, from, we know zero. The average person knows. From the perspective of people living in the heart of the imperial states. Yeah, exactly. Here in the imperial core... We don't know. We know zero. <laughs> well, you, we have know, to, you have to seek out, you know, quite deliberately to, to learn, you know, anything about these things. Yeah. I think, like, the really awesome thing about, like, people's history of the world is that, like, it's 
it's like it's a monumental like undertaking trying to write a history of the world to begin with and then trying to write a history of the world that's trying to take the perspective of ordinary people yeah in every case along the timeline does it like start? what's what's it Where like it what is it like with, with an ordinary person where does it start like is, um, it, is it like starting with recorded history or does it does it uh delve into well, any prehistory the uh the first chapter after the introduction part one is called the the rise of class societies the prologue is called before class um and then the first chapter yeah chapter one the neolithic revolution oh okay so it starts so with like, like farming farming yeah the yeah. agricultural like revolution and how farming and like uh s- permanent settlements uh give rise to class hierarchy that didn't exist uh, before then. One of the many topics covered in uh, my favorite British archaeology show, Time Team. Time Team. Which we're not discussing today. That needs, I need a lot more time to talk about Time Team. Yes. Maybe the next podcast will be (laughs) exclusive, will be only Time Team. It'll be very uh, exciting for any other Time Team heads out there. There's going to be a few... There's got to be at least one or two. <laughs> I, very popular in Britain, um, but uh, like the Gardener's World for uh, archaeol for archaeology. Yeah, for history nerds. For history nerds. Um. <laughs> anyways, yeah. So okay, that's very interesting. Yeah, I and I so I like many of the books I own. Um, I've not read this one. This one is is um, has come to us through one of. Versos, many uh, end of the year, going back to school, whatever it is, um, sales, which I've slowed pretty much down on. Uh, you have, and we we've built up a good uh, stockpile of of things to read. So haven't haven't bought if some. The, uh, every once in a while. If they shut our phones off tomorrow. We can stop scrolling and just crack open. Oh, I could read forever. We could, we could, yeah. We, we could read forever. We, we could read for the rest of, of our lifetimes. We have, I know there's enough books yes. in this house. It's weird. I've reached a stage in my life that I know exactly how many books I have left in me. Like, <laughs> I'll be able to read before I die. <laughs> saying, like, my life's, I'll be, I'll live to 80. Yeah. At 40 now. I know how many books I've read. <laughs> In the first half. Yeah. So I know how many books I can read in the second half. Yeah. It's really weird, and I know there's more books in this house exist than what I'll be able to read in my <laughs> For lifetime. sure. I, and I go in real fits and spurts, too. Um, I've definitely slowed down since I started teaching full-time. Um, but I'll, I'll kind of go, like, a few months where I just I don't finish a single book. I just have, like, a few on the go, and I'm reading very minimally, but then, you know, if I have a spring break, or summer, or just um, a period in the school year where it's not... You can just knock them off. Where it's not report card or whatever, um, you know, I'll knock off three in, a, three in a week or something and just, like, finish them off. Meanwhile, um, it'll be, like, a year and a half into, like, a three-long uh, read Well, you have of... <laughs> more attention and patience than I do. I'm... No, I'm very, just very, very slow. It takes me. You're more, you're more stubborn long. than I am, or at least, or like more persistent with books. Because like if I'm like, eh, 
I don't feel like reading this. Like I, I will just abandon books. Um, you don't abandon books as easily as I. As I'm I learning do. to again. Like as I get older, and I know I only have so many books left. <laughs> I only have so much time left. I think I've decided I'm not going to read anything that is just not hitting it yep, for absolutely. me. Like, why, why bother? If yeah. I'm not interested in it, I'm not going to remember yep, absolutely. what it is, even if it's extremely good, important information. If, if, it's, if I'm not interested, it's just going to bounce off my brain anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, when it's time for me to learn something, it's going to... I'll find it. Yeah. It'll, it'll just be time. Yeah. So, yeah, we're both, uh, and I mean, my book is also, I guess, physically large, but not Ooh. nearly as dense. Um, <clears throat> like, I started it this week, Actually, and I I'm think, more how than many pages, pages is that? Uh, let's see here. There's some, um, not very many, uh, 560 pages. We'll see. There you go. This one isn't actually that much longer. Well, that one must have tons of notes in it. Look, the... Yeah, <laughs> like the last quarter is basically all notes. Yeah. But before the notes is only 620. So, I I mean, but also I think something like this that is more narrative-driven, I mean, I read a history book that I've been in the middle of reading. Um, the thing is, like, uh, history books are narrative-driven. No, okay, okay. Like, difference between fiction and nonfiction reading. Like, I've been... Uh, well, history court- books are fiction. Oh, sh- but no I one know, was there to... I know these things. <laughs> I know these things. <laughs> okay, stop. I've been like a quarter of the way through uh, Mike Davis's Set the Night on Fire. Oh, yeah. Which is very fascinating. It's a great book. Um, but I, like, my capacity for... Like, it's it's full of information that I want to retain. Um, and so... It definitely, it takes me more time to read books like that, and at a time like this, when I just, I want something really easy to digest, um, you know, I can read, I can read books like this, you know, pretty quickly. Like, last year, the start of last, or the start of this year, I knocked off, like, The Years of Rice and Salt and The Mirror and the Light, both of which are between six and eight hundred pages, um, relatively, in a month or less. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I read fiction at a much higher clip than I do nonfiction. So, I'll, I mean, I always have, as John can attest, like four or five fiction, uh, nonfiction books laying around on the go. And then I've usually got like one fiction book that I'm like actually powering through. More than that, if you could see us in our, <laughs> we're actually just surrounded by heaps and piles of books all in like a disarray never please don't they're all on shelves they're mostly on shelves (laughs) mostly on shelves we just have a lot of shelves need more shelves i think we have in this house collectively that's why i'm learning to build crates nine bookshelves in this house that's it i think that's in upstairs and downstairs so and that's that's pared down and we still have space to I've walk. gotten rid of a lot. Of, and we do. We're not, like, stacked. We're not... We don't have piles of books everywhere. They're all on shelves. I have, like, my one... Okay, that is on a crate. That is a pile of books. That's a pile. But those are books to be read. That's the to be read pile. That is the to be read pile. Um, everything else 
is at least shoved in some way onto a shelf right now. I've done, over the years, an immense amount of culling. Um, what's uh, what's on the windowsills behind you? Those are your books. <laughs> your books are behind me on those, on those sills. Okay, fine. <laughs> well, uh, that feels like a good place to leave off. I yep. think where we've One been... song recommendation. Okay. <coughs> Instead of four from last weekend. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't... I don't care our music taste is is basic or whatever, at least mine is. I'm, <laughs> I'm leaning into it, so I'm going to give you all my basic uh, music recommendations. Okay. Just because I hear a song and I like it and I can't get it out of my head. All right. And it's hit it, this hit one's us with it. Uh, Kate Bush, Wuthering Heights, it's not 1978. Basic. It was a number one hit. Okay, but many moons ago. Yeah, 1978. Um, lo- lots of good music in 1978. It was the first number one UK hit that was uh, written, both written by and performed by a woman who was the same person. <laughs> yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So it was a milestone in, in that way. It's very endearing. He's been wandering around the house with a guitar, softly strumming and singing Wuthering Heights. Um... No, 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 you don't need to. Put it down, put it down, put it down. Well, I can't, can't put it down now. What are you doing? Out on the way. Oh my god. <laughs> Windy moves, sweet you, you know, you understand. Yeah, people get the effect. <laughs> you get the idea. That's just that, yeah, so... And I mean, that's usually my life in some shape or another, um, <laughs> is if, especially if John is, is in music mode and learning something. It's, it's good. And she was a, Kate Bush was a teenager mm-hmm. when she wrote the song and, uh, well, yeah, te- teenagers it. would be the ones reading Wuthering Heights and then writing songs about them. Well, that the thing makes is she attracts that she didn't actually base the song Wuthering Heights on the book. She was based it on a uh, on a BBC, BBC miniseries oh. that she saw when she was a child. Because I feel like Kate Bush must be the same age as my mom. Yes, well, she's the same age as my mom. Or no, then she wouldn't mom. have been a teenager in 1978. That's true. No, she's she's the same age mom. as my mom. Yeah, my mom like loves Wuthering Heights. I want to like super romantic. I hate the book. Like I want to watch. Or read Wuthering Heights you, now. You go for it. It's a very short book. I don't like it. But the it. song is based on a on one scene in particular. Yeah, the, in the window Heights. scene, yes. It looks awesome. And she's <laughs> singing like... You know, the... Uh, yeah. This, the reason why you pro- probably hate Kate Bush. Yes. <laughs> is her voice or love... Or love it, one of the two. I, I really like her song. Very polarizing uh, she, voice. She's very... Similar to uh, some other people where, like, I respect her, especially as a songwriter, um, but my preferred method is to listen to her songs performed by other people. Yeah. Um, there's some great covers of, of Wuthering Heights. There's like, a, there's, like, a metal band version. Yeah. 
there's a, a Pat Benatar version, hmm. lady, which is actually really, really good. Pat Benatar is a good, good voice. He's operatically trained. Yeah. And, uh, but Kate Bush is singing like that because she's pretending to be the yes. ghost. <laughs> yes, I, I can see the scene. I know the scene. I've seen adaptations of Wuthering Heights. Yeah. Um, I had to read it for uh, university as well, and I was like, and I, I mean, I'm more team Jane Eyre, which is right. also a stupid book, but I prefer Not Jane Eyre's... Not into the Brontes? Is I, Jane no, Eyre the Brontes? Oh, I like, no, I like Jane Eyre. She is the Brontes, yeah. So I like Jane Eyre. Um, it is the right amount of melodrama for me. For me, Wuthering Heights is just too much. Well, Wuthering Heights... And I don't like which anyone Bronte in Wuthering wrote Heights. Wuthering Heights. Uh, so, uh, Charlotte, Charlotte wrote Jane Eyre. Emily. Uh, no, wait. Oh. There's another one. We'll look it up. I'm the worst. Yeah. So Charlotte wrote Jane yeah, Eyre. And she was a teenager when she wrote Wuthering Heights. Um. Okay. No, Charlotte did not write Wuthering Heights. Her sister did. One Emily Bronte wrote. Yeah, whichever Bronte wrote Wuthering Heights, I yes. believe wrote it when she was also a teenager. Yeah, the girl, the the women who wrote it, like the Brontes. It's very teenage girl. Yeah, well, they were, you mindset. know, they were, their father had educated them, their mother had died young, they were a very tight-knit family. Ooh. Um, the three sisters, Charlotte, Anne, and, and Emily, um, and they all ultimately died relatively young, and... Um, but they were very... So they lived out the plots of their books. Yeah, their father was, like, a, a minister. Um, they, uh, there was, like, I think it's cholera. They were, like, he was stationed in a town. This is on Time Team. This is where I know all these uh -huh. facts from. This is Of course, it all boils background. down to Time Team. But, uh, they, they, um, they were stationed in a industrial town that had, you know, just frequent outbreaks of things like typhoid and cholera, um, and so the Brontes were, the, the siblings were not really allowed to go out and mix um, with the working class people who lived there that their father tended to as a minister. Mm -hmm. um, so they, you know, they, they, their friends were each other. They were well educated by their father, uh, but they didn't have a lot of sense of perspective or the world at large. They were just living out in this industrial like west midlands surrounded by moors village um and and reading you know romantic poets and and Byron. gothic fiction and shelley all, all these things so yeah um but yeah if i'm if i'm gonna take my brontes i'll take um i'll take charlotte and i'll take jane eyre over wuthering heights i have no opinion i don't know anything about them so this, the song is yeah. The song rules. <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> okay, well, I've said this before a few times, but I think this is a good place to end off. <clears throat> I think we've gone f long enough okay. today. Um, nope, it's not quite the end. Oh my. But I will edit this because the, inf the song info, you rambled along about the books. I did, yes. But, uh... You can cut that out if you need to. Um... Kate Bush, teenager, um, her first demos were paid for by David Gilmour um, from Pink Floyd, who was a friend of her friend of a friend of her brother's, hmm. um, who took took her to like visit the family, and K 
Kate, teenage Kate, had a tape of like 50 songs on it that uh, that they played for Dave Gilmore when he was there. And he's like, oh, this is really good. I'll pay. I'm going to pay for you to have like a proper demo done, three song demo. And so and I think Wuthering Heights was one of the one of the songs on it. And that's how how it came to be. It was recorded by like a all star band of like session prog session musicians. So the playing on it is really great. It has an amazing guitar solo at the end. Very David Gilmore esque. Very Pink Floyd esque. Like if you remove uh, Kate's vocals from the song, it sounds. It could you could imagine it being like a Pink Floyd or like a dumbed down sort of like King Crimson. Starless kind of style of of production. Like yeah. it sounds like it sounds like an epic prog prog band with this like spectrally ch- spectrally ghost child yeah. <laughs> like warbling over it. And the uh, music videos are pretty good too. Yeah. Kate Bush, my recommendation. That's it. We're done. <laughs> now we're now done. you now we can be done all right well thanks for uh if you are one of the people uh listening thanks for joining us yep and we'll try we'll probably do another one again yeah we're gonna get down into especially uh, if we get really locked down yeah especially yeah especially <laughs> for real for real lockdown and we'll keep uh, you posted yes absolutely hope you're all staying safe and uh, hopefully vaccinated and best best wishes to you all bye may the odds be ever in your favor me this is the way <laughs> what's the no may you be well <laughs>